Hello and welcome to the Art of Communication podcast with me, Robin Kermode. For more information on my online public speaking masterclass, visit robinkermode.com. On the Art of Communication podcast expert series today, I'm delighted to be joined by legendary fitness guru, Josh Saltzman. He's been a fitness instructor for over 40 years. He's a published author, popular media commentator, and he works with senior executives, leading entrepreneurs, members of the royal family, sports personalities, and actors such as Sir Kenneth Branagh, Kate Winslet, Angelina Jolie, Scarlett Johansson, Piers Brosnan, together with Sir Paul McCartney and me. Well, me is a very important guy. Let's not forget me. <laughs> Everybody's a me, Josh. Everybody's a me. Now, it's, great. it's me. great to work with you, Robin. I mean, obviously, as an actor, you have the exuberance of someone that's not an actor in the sense that actors tend to be very insecure. You don't seem like an insecure guy. Is that what you find about actors? I found that there's been a lot of actors I know that have got a little bit nervous. And they always say the same reason is because... They're afraid of being found out that they're faking it. Well, you're an actor. You're supposed to be faking it. Isn't it? It's the art of faking it. That's, that's exactly what it is. So why are you worried about being caught out? But then they say, well, being caught out about not faking it well. Yeah, not faking it well enough. Exactly. Well enough. All of us have that thing about not being good enough. But I'm intrigued today, Josh, to talk about the link between physical fitness and mental agility and mental health. How much do you think the fitness of somebody affects how their mind works? Well, I think there's no question the fitness of someone, the physical fitness of someone will affect their emotional fitness and their choice of actions. As a fitness trainer, I'm on show, or I'd say I'm acting in a sense. I'm entertaining people six times a day. All of those people are different. So the communication skills that I use for those people are different for each person. Mm -hmm. And obviously you have to listen, watching how a person moves, wanting to catch up on how they were over the last 24 hours, so you can make your decisions about how they should exercise. Even if they say they want to hammer themselves in a tough session, you have to make the judgment call how much to push the person. It is so important to be physically fit because as we know from the army, if you're not physically fit, you'll get shot. If you're not physically fit, you'll make the wrong decision. Mm -hmm. As I say to people, if I'm not physically fit, I will take things personally. When my client, for instance, is just acting out their fears and anxieties. Mm -hmm. So I have to be the one, whether it's a professional athlete or it's a CEO, that has to be Mr. Steady Eddie. Yeah. And that takes a lot of physical strength because when you're weak, it's very hard to have patience. I've never had a personal trainer before. I've always, like most people, you know, done a bit of running or a bit of yoga or maybe gone to the gym and I've pumped away doing my thing on the cross trainer or whatever. But you work in a very different way. You don't have any equipment. You work in a very hands-on way. So your relationship with your client is very intimate. Can you tell us what your method is? Because it's very different from going to a gym. Well, when I came to this country about 36 years ago, nobody had any equipment. And I learned where I was in in Israel that I learned how to use my hands a little bit with some professional athletes that had done some things of that nature where you would simulate an exercise using manual resistance. So I can get bespoke on every muscle group what you need. But not only that, over the years I developed to be an osteopath as well. So in your case, Robin, that you've been serving a lot because you like to play tennis, 
and I need to release your bicep and your inner elbow, I can do that with my hands while we're exercising. So when you're touching people, not only can you get the pressure right, but you have to watch people's energies. But in a good way, I'm strong enough to be able to physically give them a good session, simulate every exercise you do in a gym with a weight, only it's me with my hands or a towel, and also be able to handle emotionally or ride them out, as we say in wrestling, because rest, I was a wrestler. So sometimes you just leaned on a person long enough and they'd come around to the way they should come around. So that takes a lot of energy. And when you have to have that much energy, one, you need to prepare yourself every day through the right mindset, the right nutrition, the right flexibility, but you have to be really grounded. So if I was, you know, talking to you as an instructor and you were on the exercise bike, like you see all the time with personal trainers and we're watching TV and yeah. and commenting on whether we're both going to get to our holidays, yeah. you're drifting away. You could be kind of agreeing with whatever I say, but not really listening to me at all. And of you're course. not engaged because mm-hmm. there's too many distractions. But if I'm in your face yeah. and I got your hands and the only thing you can do is lift them, I've got your attention. And I'm concentrating on very specific movements. The other interesting thing is, Robin, you're in great condition for a recreational athlete. You're in great condition and you're getting in better condition. Well, because Um, of you, I am. Well, thank you for that. (laughs) However, I would say that most people's fault is they keep repeating the same thing that they're doing in a gym. And maybe that's simultaneously parallel with their life. You know, keep repeating the same thing, expect something different to happen. You know, you work up a sweat and they keep finding that every Monday they're heavier than they were last week Mm -hmm. or they don't feel stronger. Or, for instance, they're just aggravating their shoulder. Mm -hmm. They limp into a gym and they limp out of a gym. We tend to not think of our bodies as our most important asset. Mm. You know, if somebody went out from a gym that was limping out of a very high-end gym that they're paying thousands of pounds every year to belong to, and their car made a little noise, you can rest assured they take their car into the mechanic right away. Yeah. But when it comes to their body, they go, ah, you know, I got a little pain. Who cares? I trained Bob Diamond, actually. And I remember I said to him one time, I said, Bob, if you treated Barclays the way you treated your body, I think the whole thing would go under in a week. (laughs) So you need to train smart, not hard. And this is not something, Robin, that I learned a couple of weeks ago. It's something you develop. And you know, we all learn, especially with myself, you learn from making mistakes with yourself. Mm -hmm. And I always say to people, the good news with having an older trainer, especially someone that's 65, well, if he's still alive, he must have learned something. Yeah. You look fantastic, (laughs) I'm going to have to say. Thank you, Robin. Do you describe yourself now, currently, as fit or healthy? What word would you use to describe your state of mind? That's not so much your body, but your state of mind. I'd say I'm in the best shape of my life in the holistic term. Right. Wisdom-wise. I've learned so much from you, Robin, so let's be honest here with applauding each other's professional... Mutual fan club here. But the truth is, I'm a sponge. I learn from everybody in my life. I think what's really important is I've learned when to let go of things. Mm And for instance, I think the problem is with clients, and it might be slightly different with you. You know, I've had a lot of clients over the years that just book in a personal trainer because it takes care of their guilt syndrome, and they never get any place. So I don't own that. Mm. I do what I can for people, Mm -hmm. and I give them the best, and then I walk away. And even with my own children, I love them, but I learned the hard way that you can't change anyone unless they want to change. The way you work with clients is so intimate. How do you communicate with somebody so intimately? Because you're going to have people who love their bodies, hate their bodies, feel great, feel terrible, whatever. And they have highs and lows and all the things that happen to people in life. How do you react to that? And how do you read that in such an intimate close-up way? How do you connect with somebody when you're closer than most people would be 
in that physical space? Well, what you do is, first of all, you need a lot of empathy for people. I think empathy is really important. I believe because of my own history of being a fat child, I was a 10 stone six-year-old. My dad was a rabbi. We live in an Italian Irish neighborhood. You know what it feels like to be the underdog or the person that no one wants to play with. Or when you get up to the front of the line where you ride a pony, the guy says, how much do you weigh, son? And you say, I weigh this. And they say, no, you're too fat for this pony. There wasn't very much political correctness back in the day. Yeah. So I started working out, I was about 10 years old. But it still impressed upon my mind what it feels like to not be wanted. Mm. And I think that anybody that says whatever they say about their body, a lot of times it's just a cover-up. I remember what it was like to emotionally eat. As a young child, when I felt bad about being fat, I used to eat some more Oreo cookies. Yeah. Or when Wagon Train was on and Clint Eastwood had some beans and I felt bad about myself, I would grab some nuts. I mean, I was a constant nosher, as we say in Yiddish. And a lot of that is emotional eating. So I would say this, that I can communicate well with people because I know the types of people that they could be. And even though they could cover it up with a nice outfit and a nice house and a nice car, everybody, when you take their clothes off, They're going to look in the mirror and think, yay or nay, or I'm not happy with this. (laughs) I've always managed to get along with people. Yeah. And I've always managed through my life to communicate with people. Don't forget, Robin, I never really took a fitness course in my life. I was a Russian history major. So I think whatever subject the person wants to talk about, you could at least listen to it and have a couple of opinions on it. The art of training people is also the art of making people laugh. Yeah. And you have to be funny. I think you'll catch people's attention when you say something. But mixed with all that, when you put hands-on resistance, there's not a lot of things they can argue with because I've never had a client that I wasn't stronger than. Yeah, right. (laughs) And they also pay attention when they know that you know what they know. And so they, what do they say? Don't baloney a baloney thrower. Exactly. Because I've heard it before. But also they know that you're doing it for the right reasons. Can you tell me about your father? You said your father was a rabbi. Was he a funny man? Was he able to connect with people? He was able to connect with people. He wasn't a comedian. I was more the comedian, but what I saw with my dad more than anything, Robin, was his faith. I think that's really important, and I'm not going to say whether it should be a godly faith or a faith in humanity or a faith in Confucianism. Whatever faith you have, it's really important to have faith in yourself, mm-hmm. and that's what faith is. And I, that's what his greatest example to me was. Never swore, my dad. Never swore. I swear like a trooper. So, you know, obviously I've gone a few minutes now without using certain words that I usually use. You're doing Um, very well. (laughs) But having said that, so my dad, what he symbolized to me, even though I was stronger than my dad when I was 13, he was probably the strongest guy I ever met because he didn't flinch when life problems came his way. The other thing about my dad, which was really important for training was, when you're a rabbi, you have to go to people's homes that have have died. In Judaism, they call it sitting shiva, where Mm -hmm. they sit. So death for most people is a really scary thing. And I remember saying to my dad when I was coming into someone's house whose son had died of leukemia at the age of 17. That at five years old seemed like the guy was middle-aged, but he was just a child, obviously. I remember pulling on my dad's shirt and saying, Dad, what do I say to these people? Mm -hmm. You know, we're going into this house where these people are sitting around mourning their death of their son. He goes, just say you're sorry to hear. It's fine. They'll they'll be happy to hear just, I'm sorry that your son is gone. When you're a trainer, a lot of people open up to you about a lot of their problems. Mm -hmm. And even all the famous people that you've mentioned opened up to me about their issues. Mm -hmm. And so what you realize is that you're not afraid of hearing the most darkest things. Let's put it like that. Yeah. And I think also it's around 
particularly for priests and rabbis, it's holding the space, isn't it? And for trainers as well, you know. So if somebody tells you something, you hear it in a non-judgmental way. I think often people feel they have to do lots of, mm-hmm, aha, oh dear, I'm sorry. And I think sometimes you just hold the space for people. It's interesting you talk about holding your space, Robin, because I think people don't listen or people aren't listened to. So if you feel confident that you're going to steer them right physically, it usually goes with steering them right emotionally and making them think slightly differently. And really, that's what being physically fit and emotionally, I call it being an emotional paratrooper. And that's how you deal with life, because those points where you kind of lose it because you get too angry or too down for something, those are the times where you're most vulnerable and where life isn't very fun. So Prevention is better than cure. So I'm always a great believer in getting people to do daily disciplines. So it doesn't stop the bad stuff from happening or the washing machine breaking down or the child getting drunk and throwing up in the house or the golf tournament not going right. But your response could always be better because Mm -hmm. you're physically and emotionally better able to deal with, with the outcomes of things. And so if you're physically fit, you're more able to ride the wave, as it were. No question. You know, they always talk about a child getting cranky. Oh, Mm. he's cranky. He needs a nap. We all could use a nap sometimes. Or we could use a break Mm. from what is. Just go, whew. Just go, whew. Yeah, yeah. And I think having a scheduled time with a trainer, the right type of training, not the training that winds you up or beats you up, but the time where you just go, this is my time. Mm. This is my time to nurture myself. And that's another thing. Rather than torturing yourself with training, nurture yourself. Trying to make yourself feel stronger, feel better. Why do you need to be crawling down the pavement after walking out of a spinning class? You look like you came out of a tumble dryer, you know. And it's funny how some people like trainers that yell at them. Do you know, I've never understood that. My wife said to me, you know, why don't you get yourself a personal trainer? And I don't think she was saying I was unfit. I think she just thought it might be good for me and I might enjoy it. And I said, you know, I'm not very good at being shouted at. And I really don't enjoy And I watch people in the park outside our window in, in London. And they're punching bags and stuff. And you can see this person shouting at their client. And I'm thinking, in what sense is that fun at 5.30 in the morning? So how do you do it differently? Well, I think, you know, there's points where I've had a couple clients with rather not going into anecdotes where I've had to wrestle them to the ground at like four o'clock in the morning, but that's something else. (laughs) I never gravitated when I was being coached to being yelled at, to being ridiculed. I don't think anybody likes it. Children don't like it at school either, being yelled at by teachers. I always remember the teacher or the coach that stood out in my mind was the guy or the woman that got to me eye to eye, not Mm. looked down on me. When I was 10 years old, when I started exercising, the ropes came down. Did you ever go to the ropes? Did you ever see ropes where you climb up the ropes? Oh, yes, at school we had them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I couldn't even do a press-up. In fact, I didn't even walk and chew gum very well at the same time, right? I was about 160 pounds at that time, so I was about 11 stone, 10-year-old. And the ropes came down, and there was a teacher called Murph. He was one of these kind of big neck guys that looked like he had played professional baseball and just didn't make the professional, and he would take it out on me. And he didn't like me because I was the symbol of everything that wasn't fit at the time. And I waddled into my gym class. And that day, the ropes came down. And the first person he asked to climb the ropes as an example of how to climb a rope was me. So he said, Salzman, get up. So I went over to climb the ropes. And I call it the walk of shame. And I remember that was the longest few seconds of my life when I grabbed that thick end of the rope at the bottom. And I couldn't even get my feet off the ground. Everybody was looking, and I tried again, and nothing happened. It was like that scene from One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest where Jack Nicholson tries to pick up the sink and throw it out the window and says, I'm going to get out of here, and and he can't. And obviously, that was me. And when I sat down, he said, you want to turn out like him. 
And it was the most ridiculing what I ever felt. What a horrible thing to do. It was horrible. But it did me a favor, Robin, in the sense, because I went home and I opened up my Spider-Man magazine and I saw an article from Joe Weider saying, are you tired of getting sand kicked in your face? Mm. And we didn't have any sand in the gym, but it felt like a lot of sand went in my face then. And I wrote away this letter. I said, dear Joe, I'm a loser. Please help me. And I was crying on the letter so much that I couldn't write. You can't write on a letter that's got teardrops on it with a ballpoint pen because yeah. it doesn't work with a big pen. So I had to ask my mom for another one. I asked my mom for 50 cents. A week later, these pictures come of all these pre-Schwarzenegger guys, because there was before Schwarzenegger, all posing. And then the next thing was thirty nine ninety nine that you had to spend. I didn't have thirty nine ninety nine, So my dad bought me some weights. And I started lifting one day and running the next. But I think it's funny because when I see people like the exaggeration of that version of me is like the Mike Tysons and the boxers, you can see how fear gives people anger. And that was the fear that I was getting. You know, I was afraid. When you're afraid, you get angry. And Murphy did me a favor. So, Josh, that's great for men. What about for women, for some of your female clients? They may not want to look like Schwarzenegger. So how does that work? Well, they wouldn't want to look like him now, probably. <laughs> but that's changed over the years. It's interesting, Robin, because when I first started in the fitness business, women used to talk about, I just want to tone. I don't want to get muscles. Well, in order to tone, you have to get muscles. Now, genetics tell us what kind of muscles we can get. So not everybody can get big, bulky muscles. And what happens with people with big, bulky muscles, they have a lot of muscle cells and they have short tendon attachments. So when they bulk up, whether man or woman, and they flex, they get a big bicep. The education of women training has achieved a lot over the last 40 years I've been in the business, where women know now that muscles are good. Women know now that having muscles in a strong body not only affects the way you look, but it's preventing osteoporosis because muscles and bones are living tissue, so you need to get your bones thick. So what women usually want is to be toned and for things to go north because when things go south is because your muscles have atrophied. Working out with strength training or resistance training, whatever way you do it, it creates this hypertrophic state, which with the right rest and the right nutrition, creates a, a bigger muscle that makes you more toned. So the only way is north, is that right, The only Josh? way is north. And I said, <laughs> you know, I always say to my female clients and to my men clients too, but, you know, we do a little glute exercises, working on the rear end muscles, I say, Time to go north. <laughs> and actors, of course, you work with a lot of actors. Actors need to be mentally fit as well. I know when I was doing the three-hour Shakespeare play, on a matinee day, you'd do it twice, that's six hours a day. You've got to be physically fit to be able to be mentally fit. What would you recommend to any of our listeners? Are there a couple of things that you could say, just try this as a start? Well, I would just say every day you should have some sort of ritual where you go through. I mean, obviously people can look at the superA.uk website and get some exercises that people can do every day. I have a capsule program where I show where you're trying to check out certain body parts like your neck, your wrists, your back, and how to make sure you're working right every day. Because the worst thing people do is they just get out of bed, they have their cup of coffee or toast or cereal, and they zoom off. I think everybody needs preparation. I think as with actors where I know there's been a lot of actors I've worked with that have done the Alexander Technique. Yeah. There's exercises that someone leads people through. I know Sir Kenneth Branagh talked about when he does a stage performance, there's a routine that people kind of loosen up with depending on how physical the play is. Yes. But I think everybody needs disciplines, Robin. I'd say this, that every day you should take some time to get your thinking right. And whether you listen to tapes on awareness and mindfulness, that's really important, or you learn to meditate, really important. 
you make choices physically where you make sure your back is loose and your hamstrings are loose because there's nothing worse than having a lot on your plate and then getting out of your car or getting off the tube and all of a sudden your back goes yeah. or all of a sudden your neck is really tight. And sometimes these things happen anyways, but prevention is better than cure. So I believe that everybody needs to give themselves at least a half hour or even more of preparation. And if it means mm -hmm. getting up earlier in the morning, even if you have your personal trainer at one o'clock in the afternoon, don't leave it to anyone else. Take ownership mm. of your mind, your nutrition, and your body mm. because that's the only way things are going to happen, not by depending on anyone else. When we first met, you said to me, Robin, how much water do you drink? I'm not sure you're drinking enough water. So I wondered if you could tell us now the importance of water to the body and to the mind. Water is probably 60 to 70% of your muscles. When you dehydrate, it leads to heat stroke. So everything you do is going to feel tougher to do. When people start exercising, strength training properly with me, and they do the right osteopathy as well, their muscles are in the right position to be hydrated. And it's the kind of difference between having a tire that doesn't have enough air in it to a tire that has the right amount of air in it. If the tires have the right amount of air, you're going to feel like you're gliding down the road easily. And that's kind of how your muscles should feel, like they're springy and bouncy. The other thing that happens on a mental level or a kind of emotional level, when you don't drink enough, you tend to think that your fatigue that's due to dehydration, you need something to eat. Yeah. So you need a croissant or you need a cup of coffee or you need some sugar or your car binging to yeah. keep your energy up when actually you just need more water. And if you don't have enough water either, you're gonna have more cases of insomnia. I know that when I'm fit, I feel more confident. There's no doubt about it. I walk differently, I stand taller. I walk into a room and I feel I have more presence if I'm fit. And if I'm a little bit overweight or a little bit tired physically, I just don't have the same energy levels. So it really does make a difference to how people judge us. So you said that now you feel in a really good state. When did you start to feel good about your body? I think what it was, I think I've got a, a huge amount of self-confidence when I got to be about 12 or 13, when I had muscles that nobody else had. But I would trace myself back to post my divorce when I really got my act together because it isn't just what happens to your body physically with your muscles, but I was losing my hair when my marriage was going down the tubes. So I blamed my hair, my lack of hair on that, right. that all of a sudden this guy with really long hair from the 70s and used to wear a bandana in his aerobic class, now Park Lane was meeting Oxford Circus at yeah. Marble Arch in my head. And I didn't want to let it go, so I had this little mullet and I used to wear... Um, baseball hats. And then my next girlfriend after my divorce said, no, I like your hair shaved. So it was a metamorphosis. Mentally, physically, emotionally, I'm probably the fittest I ever was right now. And it's not regret, but I look back and I think, what was I thinking? You know, when you look at a picture of yourself and life wasn't going well at that time, and maybe when that picture was taken, you didn't think you were looking very well. And then you look back now and you think, gosh, I was looking completely fine. Yeah, I look great. It's like eating disorders, the person that looks in the mirror is seeing something other than everybody else is seeing. Exactly that. So I think it's really important to be, not to be cocky, but to be confident, as Muhammad Ali used to say. You earn the right to feel positive about yourself because you're doing enough to feel positive. But why did we wait this long? Yeah, But I then know. again, you almost have to. I don't want to go biblical on you here, but because my dad's a rabbi, I asked my dad when I went to Israel the first time, I said, why did it take the children of Israel 40 years to go from Egypt to the promised land? I mean, if you walked fast and you had the right sap nav or even a decent map or just followed the sun, you would have got there in a couple of weeks. 
But in a sense, there's no progression without resistance. And to walk around in a circle in a Sinai desert, you're weeding out people that aren't the believers, so to speak. Yeah. I think we all have to do that wandering. I've been 40 years in the fitness profession, so probably now I've come into the promised land of how I look at things. Yeah. But it takes time. And you could write a book and say, focus on this, guys. But people listen, including ourselves, when we're ready to listen. It's the same as, you know, you watch a movie one day and you think, yeah, it's a nice movie. Another day you watch the movie and you're in floods of tears or it motivates you because it resonates. I think we all have to go through that journey and there's a right time for us. But from a personal level, I want to thank you, Josh, for what you've done for me because you've made me think about my body differently. And I thought I knew a lot about my body because as an actor, you do know about your body and you're very aware of how you stand and things. But you've taught me a different way of thinking about my body, which is not necessarily about bulking up or anything like that. It's about having everything flowing. It's all about flow, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And I think when things start to flow naturally, then ideas flow and your brain flows and you feel good about yourself. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much for that. And thank you for joining us today on the Art of Communication podcast expert series. It's been a joy to have you. Thank you so much, Josh. Robin, thank you very much. And and we're going to get on to our physical session now, aren't we, buddy? Oh, we are, aren't we? Do you know, I am looking forward to it, actually. <laughs> and you're not going to shout at me, are you? No, no, no. I don't have a vocabulary for that. Thank you, Josh. For more information on my online public speaking masterclass, visit robinkermo.com.